0: Thank you. Welcome to the Wonder Woman podcast. My name is Katie Freeman and I'm your host. Every week I bring you two interviews with a female or non-binary makers of all kinds. And this week's guest is Sophie Glenn. Sophie makes furniture predominantly out of metal and uh, she does some really cool effects with them where you think that they're wood. So pretty fascinating stuff. Uh, It was a great time chatting with Sophie. Before we hop into the episode with her, I want to give a big shout out and thank you to the patrons over on Patreon. So thank you so much, Kevin Lefty's Woodshop, Christy Twisted Twine, Christina B, Jeremy Spice, Sammy Go Sammy Lee, Sven Dwarf Sized Workshop, Rachel Moody Makes, Bonnie Tool Mom Bonnie, Tool Mom Store.com, Laura Oakley Soap Company, Mary Lou Made by Mary Lou, Amy Bison Valley Carving, Dan and Kelly Reclaim Living Store, Brandy Studio Obey, Kathy One Girl and Her Tools, Ellen Little Bear Furniture, and Ethan Ethan Carter Designs. Thank you all so very much for your continued and ongoing support, helping to produce two episodes a week, every week and with no further ado here is Sophie Glenn. I always start with having my guests introduce themselves so when you're ready I'll let you go ahead and do that.
1: Okay well I'm Sophie Glenn and I'm currently in Starkville Mississippi where I'm teaching. Um, uh, I'm a visiting assistant professor of sculpture here Um, but I'm originally from New York City. I was born and raised there Um, and yeah, I grew up in the middle of Manhattan. My mom worked retail at a fancy um, clothing store. My dad works, still works at a bar, but is soon retiring. <laughs> um, and yeah, I went to school at SUNY, per- undergrad work was at SUNY Purchase College, which is um, in Westchester County, New York, so slightly upstate. Um, and I did grad work at San Diego State University and kind of been hopping around for, for a little while and eventually ended up here, so.
0: All right. So, so you hit up both coasts
1: like yeah,
0: from, <laughs> from both far ends of the country there.
1: I grew up in like New York and I was there up until I was like 23 or 24, I think. And I was just like, I need to get out and explore a little bit. So going to San Diego is a good excuse to do that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Was that a bit of a culture shock, San Diego versus New York?
1: Oh, my mom's, um, family, my mom is from California. Um, okay. so I feel like I kind of had a vibe of it beforehand. Um, there's definitely like a slower vibe or a slower pace to San Diego. It's like, oh, I'll just get it done tomorrow. And I'm just like, no, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> work I gotta get done. I need to do it now. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so that was probably like the thing I had to get used to the most. Um, I had a great time there like I still talk to a bunch of my grad school buddies and we are still still good touch with each other it's great
0: yeah I get the whole pace thing um my wife and I lived in northern San Diego County for almost five years so in Oceanside Mm -hmm. and it drove me insane coming from like Midwest like you know if you're 10 minutes early you're late type of mentality exactly (laughs) And I'd like, so I'd be at like work, like you know, between six mm-hmm. thirty and seven o'clock in the morning, like ready to go, and hear all these like young engineers come sauntering in after like surfing all morning, at like nine <laughs> thirty, and I'm like,
1: ah! <laughs> <heck>? <laughs> I feel like the unofficial state motto of or um, town motto of San Diego is like mañana, so just like tomorrow. Or, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah like, Ugh, no. <laughs> <laughs> exactly um I wish it would have rubbed off a little bit more on me like I feel like that's like probably a healthier way to live life right yeah (laughs) (laughs) um
1: bad things about it yeah exactly
0: um all right so growing up in the city like what kind of things you know did you do as a kid
1: I lived across the street from my elementary school. and There's a little playground there. So we'd go there quite frequently when I was really young and um, uh, like go to museums when I was younger too. Um, I actually went to an arts high school. um, So that was kind of fun. So like some of the assignments for that were to go to museums and just like sketch some of the statues or um, like sort of recreate or sketch out the um, paintings that were there. So that was really fun. Um, Something I really miss about being in New York. Yeah. I mean, I always have a hard time answering that question sometimes because like people are just like, especially living in the suburbs now, it's just like, wow, what was that like? i was just like, I don't know. It's just a different kind of childhood, I guess. (laughs) Well, like like living in the suburbs.
0: (laughs) Right. Well, even though the idea of like the arts high school, like I, I feel like bigger cities or bigger, you know, metropolitan areas have those kind of opportunities
1: yeah sure
0: for high schoolers like I can't think of a single art high school in my entire state and I could be wrong (laughs) there may be (laughs) there may be one somewhere but like at least I know like my kids won't have that Mm -hmm. opportunity um in my local region so like I, if you don't mind can you just spend a little time like talking about like what's I guess what's different about that experience versus you know
1: like being in an arts high school yeah, yeah yeah um so it was sort of set up just like regular high school you have like homeroom in the morning and you go through like your history and your math classes and stuff um but thrown in there too were just um art classes so I think we had um it was like three studio art classes a day or like um three 40 minute periods or however mm-hmm. long the periods are um, and then we would just, it'd be a drawing class where we take watercolor or um, sculpture and things like that. Um, so it was really like, like I was really fortunate to have that experience. Um, yeah. I, like, my grades were like, I was doing okay in junior high, but I kind of stopped caring after a while because I kind of figured I'd go into art eventually. <laughs> that was, I was really fortunate that I had that opportunity to go to that high school because uh, at the time the schools in New York were just sort of unless you were like super smart and tested into like the good schools you were kind of just put into whichever one was in your district. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, was that something, so you said you kind of figured you were going that way anyway. So art was something that like you already always passionate about or.
1: Yeah. um, I always grew up like drawing and things like that. And it's like one of the first memories I have is just like drawing some crayons in the corner of the living room, you know, um, and I was always like, pretty naturally good at drawing. So I figured um, I was probably and I was like, I loved it. So, and I still love it, obviously. Um, and it's been something like, like when I got to college eventually, I kind of just wanted, like I went to a liberal arts college, um, but one that had a good art program, but I wanted to like explore my options a little bit, just in case like art wasn't the thing I wanted to do. Um, at least I would have other options, but eventually I settled on art anyway. Um, but yeah, it was always something that um, I always went back to even if I was working on something else or studying something else. It was always like that, I don't want to say fallback, because I don't really consider it a fallback, but mm-hmm. um, always, yeah, something I just naturally returned to and still really enjoy. hmm Yeah.
0: Was it ever, I mean, was there ever any friction about that, like with your family, with your parents?
1: Not really. I mean, my mom was always super supportive because she actually studied art a little bit in college. Um, my dad and my sister like don't quite understand it, and I think that's you know kind of normal. Um, so getting them more into the realm of the, the art world and um, or even the craft world, and you know, and now it's like um, they're trying to get a better understanding of it. But they were always super supportive, um, even if, even that they even though they didn't quite understand how or why I was doing it you
0: know? mm-hmm.
1: yeah, so I feel pretty fortunate about that too yeah
0: so undergrad uh what you end up graduating with
1: I got a degree in technically interdisciplinary so it's like a choose your own major kind of thing but I focused on sculpture and drawing those were my two like main areas um but the nice thing about my college was we had a Wingate Artist in Residence program. So they'd bring in artists every semester to teach a class and just sort of work on their own work. Um, and it was through that program that I was able to meet Vivian Beer, who I ended up later on um, working for um, on several occasions. And she does um, metal furniture, steel furniture, um, in which I didn't, before then, I didn't really know it was like a thing, but <laughs> yeah. um, so she just kind of like blew my mind. Um, and like take like i remember tig welding for the first time in her class like i just like it like something just clicked in my brain i was like this is this is it <laughs> like this is like what i'm supposed to do um, so i ended up for uh, my thesis project with all furniture pieces yeah
0: okay was college the first time you had um, experience with the like the sculptural piece of art
1: yeah um like I said, I did like maybe a little bit of like clay work and um, little wood sculpture in uh, high school, but it was really just kind of, you know, just here's a chisel and just like hack at this piece of wood for a little while. <laughs> <time. laughs> it wasn't anything like significant. Um, right. But yeah, the, the program I went through had a really great uh, metal shop and wood shop. And at the time they had instructors who had been there for years and years, so they really sort of... Um, made those shops their own and had a pretty set curriculum in place. Um, so I was able to take some woodworking classes while I was there and um, a couple metalworking classes. Um, and yeah, I feel like, like I was in a sculpture program. So like I made some sculptures here and there and I had really great professors who really encouraged me to pursue it. Um, I just mm-hmm. didn't really feel like an emotional connection to it. Like I loved making stuff with my hands and, um, but I, Doing all the conceptual art stuff and maybe just non-functional work was um, something I wasn't immediately drawn to. So it was wasn't until I took Vivian's class ultimately, but um, before then I had taken a woodworking class um, based on furniture. It's like I loved furniture, but wood wasn't necessarily like that that connection point. I guess, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. What What do you think it is for you with when it's furniture, like the metal versus wood?
1: I'm not sure exactly, because I, I, as of late, I've been really going back and forth between the two, Um, so it seems like now the woodworking really just informs my practice a lot more, Mm. and I have a better understanding of how these furniture pieces are built. Um, It's really, like, this kind of, like, a weird thing to say as a woodworker, but it's, like, it's a relaxing thing for me (laughs) sometimes, and, like, that's not necessarily the case with most woodworking practices, especially if you got, like, a complicated glue-up, you know?
0: Right, right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think, like, because, again, like, just TIG welding for the first time, and it just, like, I immediately took to it, and it just, like, felt so much more natural to me than woodworking did. Um, I guess, yeah, I don't don't know if that quite answered the question, but, yeah, but they're just, like, so different, but also so similar, too.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's... I would say the biggest difference is just like material movement and understanding you know yeah just the I guess the structure of the material itself mm-hmm. um <clears throat> which I you know I had to take a whole like material science class uh in college I went I went for manufacturing technology and it still goes over my head but it's like it's like enough Enough, kind of stuck that it's like yeah. you know, on a very basic level. I understand the difference of like cellular structure type stuff. Of um,
1: yeah, it's funny. I'm teaching stuff. a woodworking class or furniture class right now, and I keep telling students like this is a lot of information to take in. And it's like I remember exactly being in that same spot, and I was just like, I don't know what's going on. Right. <laughs> I don't <want> to know. <laughs> Like wood moves this way and you need to make joinery accordingly and you have to cut stuff this way but not this way there's an order of operations and it's just like whoa way yep. too much <laughs> so i can commiserate with them a little bit yeah. <laughs> yeah as
0: part of your i mean when you when you did your thesis you know you needed um furniture pieces were they all metal furniture pieces
1: so it was a mixture of um steel and wood um okay because at the time, and like up until I did a residency in Tennessee, like I thought I had, like there needed to be some um, connection between the two materials. Um, so I, I was still sort of figuring out like my place in the furniture world, right? I was just like, just emerging, I'm just into furniture, and I'm just like, well, I gotta know all this stuff about woodworking, but I'm also a metal worker. So there must be a way I can like bring those two things together in a cohesive way. Mm-hmm. Um, so... So, yeah, for the thesis, it was all just, like, these wood and steel pieces. Um,
0: When you're, like, when you're going through that process, did you have any background as far as, like, design of furniture pieces?
1: Not really, no. Um, Yeah, I mean, like, my teacher sort of instilled that we need to have sort of, like, a bit of a design sense, I guess, and like really incorporating your own, um, style and aesthetics into the pieces that we're creating, but I I wouldn't say I had like a furniture history course or, um, like the history of furniture design over Mm -hmm. the years or anything like that. So it's all just, um, as of late, it's all just like me researching, um, different periods of furniture and learning about them. And it's just part of my research now, um, Mm -hmm. more so than it was before, um, and I wouldn't say I'm like a designer by any means. I'm like my work now is just like copying old old stuff. So <laughs> <laughs> nothing
0: nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But okay, so I really want to venture into it's. I've been like holding myself back, but I have to venture into this. Like you make steel look like
1: wood. Uh-huh.
0: How did that come about?
1: <laughs> so. Uh, I was doing a residency in Tennessee at the Appalachian Center for craft. Um, so, um, at the time it was a, as long as a three-year residency, it's, a, it's since been shortened to two years. Um, so I was in the middle of my first year. I had just like gotten out of grad school. Um, my work was still like this combination of wood and steel. Um, and I wasn't really like, I didn't really have a direction for the work. And I was getting, um, at the time I was getting kind of frustrated with it. Um, Cause it wasn't really the type of work that I wanted to produce but I didn't really know what else to do um and then eventually I just came on the idea and it was an idea I had while in grad school but just didn't feel confident enough to actually fall through with it and I was like well I want I've always wanted to do these steel pieces that were um essentially reproductions of older works so sort of like a trompe l'oeil type thing um and I was just like well I guess now's the time to do it yeah so um and that's sort of been the basis of my work for the past, uh, I guess, three or four years now. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so it's sort of like just become this culmination of everything that I've learned um, throughout all my schools and work and all that. Um, and yeah, and it's been sort of like a big experiment for the past four years. <laughs> Yeah. Well,
0: yeah, I, I would imagine there was a great amount, a good amount, at least, of experimentation to be able to get the steel to, in in looks anyways, mimic wood.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like,
0: um, how long was, <laughs> how long was that process and going through all of that?
1: Well, the, like, the first piece I get, th- the like, first piece I made was called Lady Beefcake. It's this white table. Um, and, at the time I was really like, I wanted to figure out how to do these cabriole legs. That was like the main goal of that table, And I was just like, well, I can, I know how to hammer steel and I know how to, um, I know how to weld it. So I'm like, I, I guess I could figure out a way how to make these cabriole legs. Um, and then eventually I did. Um, so that was just kind of a big experiment. Um, and since then it's just been sort of one experiment after the other. So um, like, I wanted to figure out how to, um, do image transfer- transfers on metals. That took like a little bit of research. Some on YouTube, just you know. <laughs> <laughs> fly. Um, so I figured out how to do that and try to get images so that I can recreate a specific chair for that piece. Um, it's sort of just been like one thing after another, um, and then making them look like antique. So doing like that rust finish on them was really key too. Like from afar they do look like they're wood pieces but if you really look close up like that rust is like the 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 key factor in letting Mm -hmm. someone know that they're made of steel um yeah
0: hey makers i want to tell you a little bit about today's episode's sponsor athena outfitters So when I'm in the market for a new pair of work boots, I do a ton of research, make sure I'm getting something that's going to fit right and going to last. Well, Athena Outfitters is a quality workwear brand for hardworking women that has tons of experience with footwear. They've taken the time to select the very best shoes and boots made by each of the most reliable footwear brands. And when I shop at Athena Outfitters site, it saves me time and energy because I trust that they found the best shoes for every job and activity. Plus bonus, you can shop online. So next time you need new work boots or some other type of high performance shoe, check out AthenaOutfitters.com, Gear with Grit. And Athena is A-T-H-E-N-A and then Outfitters.com. You can also get a special discount at checkout by using the coupon code MM, that's capital M, capital M, 15, for 15% off any purchase just because you're a listener of the podcast. All right, let's hop back into the episode. What's, the, what's your experience watching somebody discover that your piece is made out of metal?
1: it's pretty funny sometimes actually. (laughs) Um, I had one person come in, um, he had, it it was during my time at the craft center and he was giving an artist talk or something, just kind of working around the studios and visiting studios and stuff. Um, and I had just finished this one chair I was working on. Um, and he was a metal worker too. So this is also kind of a funny thing. Um, he was just like, wow, this is a really great piece. Like, do you have the metal one already? I was just like, it's right there. <laughs> he was just like, "Oh, <laughs> I <had no> idea!" <laughs> I had to, like knock on it, and I was like, "Yeah, this is the steel one." He's just like, "Whoa!" So, <laughs> um, uh, stuff like that, I really, really enjoy. Um,
0: yeah, I met like I, I imagine it would be fun to just like have that piece on display somewhere where you know people interact with it very frequently and just sit back and watch (laughs) the reactions of people um i mean i have i i enjoy the similar thing and with my resin and wood bowls because Mm -hmm. i intentionally make them look more like glass uh and or ceramics and then when people like pick it up and they really start to like look at it and then you know you go yeah it's wood and the just the expressions they get it's really it's fun, like kind of, yeah. It
1: yeah, and it's really like like something clicks in their heads too. It's just like oh, I like had one like idea about this material, but then now the seeing this and how it could look in this way, and it's just like whoa, I never thought about thinking about this material in this mm-hmm. way before. Um, so sort of that realization is really um, satisfying too. Yeah,
0: yeah. How to so I mean now you're now you're teaching how do you kind of manage like your own practice and teaching?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, with the COVID and all that, it's been uh, pretty difficult as of late. Um, I usually try to just like, I never used to be like a planner and like, but I physically bought a planner so I can write everything down. I I give myself like little to-do lists so I can check everything off. So like I've tried to just be as organized as I can possibly be. and I usually just work on my stuff over the weekends or just when I have like a day off or something and I'll, that's, that's like me time and then I do all of my schoolwork during the rest of the week. Um, yeah. So, but with COVID and all that, I've had to figure out how to put sculpture classes online, which is just like, what? <laughs> how does that work?
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's been like, I have good days in bed, but you get through it. Yeah, Are you
0: guys back in person now then?
1: Yeah, my furniture class is in person and my, I have a um, survey sculpture class, which is like an introductory level and that's hybrid. So they get to come in when they want to, but most of the instruction is online. So if they need to stay home, they can. Um, so yeah. So the furniture class is the one I've really been focusing on lately. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I don't, I definitely... Don't envy. I really don't envy any teacher at all right now. <laughs> um, you
1: get paid for, that's the thing. Yeah. Especially if you're 12 teachers, but yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. Yeah. So no teacher right now, I think, is in like a super great spot. But uh-huh. especially I've had a few of you on as guests on the podcast and who teach this very like physical... you know you have to be like it's almost like yeah how do you teach that virtually um students don't have those tools at home so right yeah
1: um and it's it's hard uh because like some things you need to like physically show someone how to do and it's like it's like pretty impossible to do it online um so yeah having those workarounds and making projects like accessible for at-home instruction has just been like a like major challenge um it. And uh, like, of course, some things get like lost in the teaching, but you yeah, know, hopefully yeah. they learn other things instead. Of right. right. that. Yeah.
0: Was teaching ever on your radar uh, to start with, as far as what you would end up going kind of into?
1: Well, I always wanted it as an option because I was always kind of on the fence about teaching. Um, and I'm actually. Um, probably skipping a hit, but I'm actually leaving this job as of April, but, <laughs> um, like, it was a main reason why, well, not a main reason, but one of the reasons why I decided to go to grad school, because I wanted it to at least be an option for me, um, in case, like, studio work didn't work out, um, and I just, uh, I was actually recommended for this job, so I actually got kind of lucky, um, they were looking, to, like, guy I was replacing um, got a job as the department head and you're looking for someone just to fill in that spot until they can hire on someone full-time so I just you know kind of lucked into it but um but I really enjoy um a lot of aspects of teaching um i just think academia itself is not quite for me um mm-hmm. at, least not at this time maybe a few years down the line maybe but yeah
0: so okay so what are you doing in April <laughs>
1: <laughs> well I'm still figuring that out <laughs> I've been applying to residencies and um, other sort of um, other jobs that maybe don't quite have as much responsibility as a full-time teaching job. Um, So yeah, everything's just kind of up in the air at this point. Um, I'm really hoping to just focus on my work for a bit bit Mm -hmm. longer and hopefully get maybe a studio practice going where I can just bang out some work and keep showing and hopefully sell some stuff too. That'd be
0: nice. Right. (laughs) that's always a good a good thing to happen (laughs) Uh, when okay when and when it comes to like studio work I guess what would what would you say like is your dream there is it you create and someone you know loves a piece buys it or is it commission work like what's what's the dream
1: yeah. I would love for just have like a benefactor who just loves my work and just like, keep making stuff. I'm like, yes. Okay. <laughs> um, I've done commission works before and it's not my favorite thing to do. Um, Cause working with clients can be difficult. Um, but if it comes down to that too, or if they like really like a particular piece and just want me to remake that piece, like I've, I've done that before. And that's usually um, pretty satisfying. So. But in an ideal situation, I'd love to just, like, make some work and have people love it and want to buy it, so. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. When you went to school, do they help teach you how to turn studio work into, like, a living?
1: Not really. Um, Like, we sort of go through classes like here's how you build a resume and like you can practice writing grants and, um, or grant applications and, uh, cover letters and things like that. Um, but I feel like the studio practice thing doesn't really get taught all that much. Um, and my, it was called like a professional practices. I forget the actual term for the course in grad school, but it was like all the, um, disciplines combined into that class. So you had like jewelers and ceramics Mm. people. So it's, like that kind of thing, it's like really hard to discuss how to um, come up with a studio practice because we're all different. Um, Right. Even from furniture maker to furniture maker, it's like my practice is different from my um, fellow grad students, right? So Mm -hmm. like I do the wood and metal and someone does solely wood or someone does only like steam bending or vacuum forming and things like that. So it's all just sort of um, dependent on the needs of that particular person, I guess. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I've, all, I've often, you know, wondered why, like, business classes aren't part of, like, an art program.
1: They really should be. Uh, <laughs> <it's> like, <laughs> I, I'm lucky enough to have a tax guy, but I'm like, I have no clue about any of
0: right. that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I would love to be able to understand that more, or even just, like, here's how you set up a Roth IRA and why this is a good mm-hmm. thing to do when you're younger. You know, it's like, I, mean, I didn't have any kind of clue about any of that stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my, I have, I live in a university town and my university just so happens to have like an art entrepreneurship oh, that's great. certificate yeah. program. I haven't, I haven't taken it yet. I'm still kind of like, I think I can figure it out just via Google. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but. but it is one of those things of like even just that fact of like oh they've recognized it enough to be like a certificate program after the fact still it would be great if like they put in some sprinkled in some business classes
1: um yeah it really would be yeah yeah. um it's unfortunate that more programs don't do that uh it's really it really can be helpful yeah yeah
0: yeah I mean what would you say you struggle with the most like when it comes to the idea of like a studio practice
1: um really for me I think it's just settling on a location because I've just been Mm -hmm. moving around so much um and I love different parts of different areas so it's just like finding like where well one where your audience is right so it's like Mississippi doesn't really have much of a um, art scene here um (laughs) so selling work and showing work has been like really minimal at this point but I had like great work and like a great showing record in Tennessee and it's like I never knew that there was an art scene there outside of like, right. Nashville, really um so really just finding the right audience and location is probably the the hardest thing mm. at this point yeah um
0: yeah I mean it's you know personally I've always thought like where I need to sell my stuff is either coasts you know is I feel like that's really kind of where arts thrive and you can sell stuff. Yeah. But entering into that scene from a location of the Midwest is difficult. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. It's hard to like, you know, it's like even finding showings going on or calls for artists or all of that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, that's like a another job in and of itself, just like looking for those opportunities. Like I, Like my weekends these days have just been like, paperwork and just like looking on the internet and seeing what shows are I, i'm like remotely like applicable for so mm-hmm. yeah it's it's a lot of work you yeah. know mm-hmm.
0: did you so you said you showed some and had success in Tennessee where else have you shown had your work shown
1: uh i had my work shown at in philadelphia at the center for art and wood um mm-hmm. i recently had a show in memphis at the metal museum my first solo show so it was really exciting um, and my, sh- my work is actually back in Tennessee at my old, at the craft center. I had a little solo show there. Um, I was able to show at um, ICFF International Contemporary mm-hmm. Furniture Fair in New York a couple of times um, through my school and also through the Furniture Society. Um, and a couple other places here and there too. Um, and Houston Center for Contemporary Craft was a recent one. Um, Houston's been really great um, in terms of an art scene there too. Yeah.
0: How do you find out about these opportunities?
1: Um, well, a lot of them are just like through like call for entry or like sort of those online platforms that, mm-hmm. um, that have all those postings. Um, I have been reached out to a couple of times. Um, so Houston was a good example for that. Um, the curator actually um, uh, juried a show I was in in Tennessee and like loved my work and just like remembered me from that. Um, like making connections that way is like a great way to find out mm-hmm. too. Um, and yeah, it's like, like usually, like when I'm talking to my students about it, usually it's like, it's that, it's that first one that's probably the hardest to get. Once you have that first one, it starts to get a little bit easier because your work starts to become a little bit more known by, by others. Mm-hmm. Um, and your showing record, um, grows too. So, yeah.
0: so here's probably my biggest question. How do you have enough pieces to put into shows?
1: <laughs> well I did for a long time <laughs> and that's like another like organizing thing like I'll, right. I'll apply to like four or five different shows and I'm like well I applied to this show with those pieces and I have to apply to this one with these pieces um and that's just I feel like that comes with time really um so I've been working on this body of work for four years um it started out with just the one piece um, mm-hmm. and yeah it's just been kind of growing from then on out yeah
0: do are your pieces generally always somewhere, or have you had the time where it's like they're all in your living space with you?
1: <laughs> well, recently, yes, I did have them all like back together, it was like a little reunion, but um, but now some of them are off at that solo show, and I still have a couple here and there. Um, so there's always like at least one or two hanging out, and then you know, a couple of them are elsewhere over there, and, yeah.
0: How many pieces do you have in total?
1: Oh, of that body of work or just like yeah. all the work? Yeah. I think I have about maybe 15 of the current body of work. Mm-hmm. I still have most of my grad school pieces. That's about, about 30 pieces total, maybe a little more. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, what? I mean, have you been able through these shows to then sell some of the pieces while you are at show? Um,
1: Yeah. So I, um, through that one show I did in Tennessee where the juror was from Houston. Um, so that, uh, got like a best in show award or something. And then, um, someone who saw that show bought it. So I was Hmm. fortunate about that. Um, then I had one other person buy um, one of my pieces, but it just happened to be like a friend i would had and like really loved the piece. Um, then I also made these like stools at one point that went into another show and someone had saw the show and like I had to commission a bunch of these. That was like my one commission I did. Um, <laughs> I had to make a whole bunch more of those stools. So um, yeah, I think like, no, like again, it all sort of depends on like where the show is and the audience that that show is getting. Um, but yeah,
0: yeah. What was your, I want to do a little compare and contrast. What were your expectations of mm-hmm. what a show would be like when you had your first show?
1: Um I'm trying to think what my first show was. I think it was like maybe a grad school show. Um like I like because I had gone to museums and galleries mm-hmm. and stuff. Um so I feel like I like the white walls and like everything's looking all nice and pretty and that's like that was pretty much what I was expecting. But then there's other shows that are like more thematic. Um so I never really had like concepts of that before. Um or like gallery spaces or di- i had like one some work shown in a gallery where the walls were like not really carpeted but they had like fabric on them and i was just like this is kind of odd <laughs> <laughs> um so like putting like hanging works up on those walls was difficult um and and yeah i feel like there's like that nervous energy that goes into going into your first show because you're like, ooh, this can be like a nice opportunity. And like right. shipping work for the first time is like really nerve-wracking, especially if you have like larger furniture pieces. You're just like, oh, is it gonna make it there? You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> 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 um, so I feel like again, I feel like the New Yorker comes out and it's like, uh, uh, uh just waiting. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like just that nervous energy going into it and then realizing that like this is just a hurdle and. Like it'll be okay. And like the other ones get easier from then on out. Yeah.
0: Did you go in with any expectation of like you're going to get that? <clears throat> probably what I would say now, miracle person to come like buy every piece. Like,
1: I mean, yeah, like that's always like the hope that runs through it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but i feel like it's like a hope for the best but expect the worst or like yeah. plan for the worst you're just like oh well you know if i just show and no one bothers to look at it then you know at least I can put a line on my resume right so I mean, yeah but ideally yeah i'd love for someone to just buy the work <laughs> so i don't have to uh, deal with it anymore
0: <laughs> that's right Today's episode is brought to you by ToolmomStore.com. Toolmom and company is for all ages, genders. They have what you need for your one-stop, tool-related merchandise of gifts and clothing. Uh, The products are fun, fashionable, one-of-a-kind. In fact, I have two of the mugs. Uh, One has a circular saw with flames coming off of it. It says, Go Girl! Another one has... definition of a tool chick. Both of them are super awesome and I have coffee out of them almost every morning. So check out toolmomstore.com or find them on Instagram at toolmombonnie. You can receive an extra 20% off at checkout by using the code makermom. Yeah. after about the you know fifth time of moving a piece it kind of is like I'm really somebody could buy this
1: <laughs> It gets old real quick yeah. <laughs> like one of the pieces I just made is like three that's a big chest piece and it's like 300 pounds I'm just like, <laughs> 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 like I really don't want to move this anymore right. <laughs> but, uh, hopefully hopefully someone buys that one
0: I know <laughs> that's probably. That's only be, always been my thing when, when people ask me, Oh, you know, do you do, do you do like shows and stuff?
1: Mm-hmm. And it's
0: like, I've done, I did for the first couple of years. And honestly, I'm like, after you've moved a single piece of furniture that many times, yeah. <laughs> like you're just kind of, I'm done. <laughs> like um, <laughs> I'll find a pretty place for it in my house. <laughs>
1: yeah with that too is like shows aren't for everybody it's like no. i'm so used to moving my my stuff around so like i usually just drive it if, it, if it's close enough um, right but like craft show is like totally different than like a gallery show A craft show is like no no thank you i'm just mm-hmm. that's way too much work and so much overhead in terms of money it's like the uh, stress level there is also just yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but some people love it like they make their livings doing craft shows and like, right go
0: for it yeah and well yeah. and it depends on your audience though too right exactly. um, yeah.
1: Yeah. that's the
0: other thing it's like I did enough like I did like three ish craft shows or like pop-up type things
1: yeah. and that
0: was enough just to say like yeah my ideal audience who can afford my prices is not walking into something like this yes
1: exactly
0: <laughs> um so that's not the space for me mm-hmm. you know and it's fine to learn that but yeah yeah uh, yeah maybe if it's like there's a chance of my ideal audience seeing it, I'm willing to move it maybe a few more times, but yeah
1: yeah sure, yeah, yeah.
0: so you've been working on this body of work for you said four years, I think
1: about that yeah,
0: yeah, mm-hmm. how do you see it? I mean, are you kind of you feel like you hit your rhythm or do you see it still like morphing and changing,
1: yeah, I feel like it's a little bit of both, I guess, like I'm really happy and satisfied with this body of work, but it's always evolving in one way or another. Um, So like, lately I've been focusing more on like decorative techniques, or like the image transfer stuff, and um, uh, like a really most interested right now is like seeing how I can make steel into like uh, sort of like a textile medium. Mm -hmm. So like the last piece I made was a seat that I, um, it was a corner chair and the seat was woven out of spun steel wool. And that was just like a big experiment too. Um, But I was just wondering if I could even do this for one Mm -hmm. um, and just seeing how it actually worked and it worked out fairly well. So I'm kind of interested in seeing what more I can do in terms of that line of thinking about material steel specifically, Mm -hmm. but other metals too, yeah.
0: Where do you find most of your inspiration
1: I usually well it sort of comes from a lot of different places but I do like a lot of online research of like different um furniture pieces and I go on like all these auction websites and just like if I'm um in the middle of a piece I need to figure out dimensions like au- auctioning websites are great for that um but sometimes I'll be like watching a movie and there's like a captain's chair in in the shot and I'm just like oh that's gonna be my next piece you know so sometimes it kind of happens like haphazardly like that um and I usually I buy like a lot of furniture books too like um, like catalog type things mm-hmm. or just like the history of like all furniture or whatever you know right. um, so I tend to just like um piece through these types of books and, and something just happens to catch my eye or just like oh this is going to be an interesting thing and this is sort of like an interesting challenge to try to figure out how to make and steal and I mm-hmm. sort of gravitate towards that yeah
0: How do you, I mean, do you ever find yourself in, like, a creative dry spot?
1: <laughs> like, now, yes. <laughs> I think now, like, I think it's just, like, a lot of things, though. It's, like, I'm about to move, and I don't know where I'm going next, so I don't really want to start anything brand mm-hmm. new right now. Um, and that, it's like, that thing where, like, I haven't actually found a piece that I'm, like, dying to try to figure out how to make, um, I think so yes I mean yeah I get I get through like dry patches and you know there's like long periods where I'm not really working on anything but I'm just kind of like looking through all these different pieces of material to figure out like what my next step is yeah yeah
0: are there any like go-to activities you do that help kind of get you in the right frame of mind
1: (laughs) Well, actually, this is going to sound really kind of mundane, but like I tend to like have a space in any room that's just blank and I can just like stare at a blank wall (laughs) and just let my mind just kind of wander. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's just like if I'm looking at an uncluttered thing, then hopefully my mind can become uncluttered. Um, And it's actually pretty helpful. Um, Mm -hmm. And sometimes just like writing different words down, like what things I want to achieve with the body of work or... um, Things I just want to further explore like some sometimes that happens too. Um, Not really a lot of like sketching these days, but mostly just like writing sentences down or phrases Mm -hmm. that are find interesting. Um, Yeah, just like little bits and pieces of idea generating, I guess. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't think that necessarily sounds mundane. (laughs) I I tend to be either go for a drive or go for a walk or sometimes just in the shower. I feel like I need to like have one of those like waterproof like <laughs> pens oh, so or people, like yeah. crayons or whatever so I can just like write all over the shower wall. Oh, um,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, walks are great too. I go for walks all the time. I get a big fluffy dog at home, so he needs to go out. And that's a yeah. good excuse to, you know, yeah. a little bit. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, do you sketch? up your work in any way before you like start working on it? Uh
1: it's like it depends on the piece really. Um so sometimes like what I usually do is I find images that are close to the like chair or something that I want to make and I'll pull measurements from it. Um and then sort of natural like I'll have to draw them up full scale sometimes just to get like more accurate measurements or ideas of proportion and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, usually if I'm just like doing little sketches, it's more just like as a way to remember like, oh, this is the mm-hmm. thought I had at this point. Um, I don't do like any kind of like formal sketching at this point, I guess. Um, but or yeah, so it's really just pulling a bunch of images off and picking out measurements from there. Um, and a lot of the, like doing the metal work, is a lot of it's just like kind of sketching in space. So like if this, right. if I'm bending a piece of metal and that shape doesn't look right, then I just like recut it and re-weld it, yeah
0: hmm. OK. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, going through a sculptural program, I feel like you probably had a good mix, I would say, of gender wise representation in class. Uh, or, yeah. 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 Um. Now, with some of your teaching or the places you've done residency in, do you feel like there's still a pretty good mix of representation
1: um yeah i think actually um i remember being in tennessee doing that residency i had issues with like um like local, like we would have like local events um set up for um like local art events you know mm-hmm. i had people come visit my studio and they like would be oh who does all your welding <laughs> um my boulder's right over there you can see it <laughs> right um but i feel like in terms of my teaching in terms of um other places i've been to i feel like the gender mix and even the um like the um uh, uh, uh race identifications here has been really um really great too like particularly in mississippi it's like our population is half black so we get a lot of black students or people of color in here and it's like really great to see that um
0: yeah
1: and it's like something that like makes sense like before I got here but I didn't really realize that would be the case so it's really kind of refreshing to see that um that isn't to say we don't get like good old boys in here either who are just like oh <laughs> <laughs> um, but my students are pretty good yeah yeah
0: but yeah what about I guess in your other The other places you've studied, Mm -hmm. what was kind of the mix um, ethnicity-wise?
1: So both my undergrad and grad school were mostly white. Um, Mm -hmm. San Diego, we did get more of a Mexican influence because Tijuana is just right over the border. Um, But it was still predominantly white. Um, So it wasn't really until I got to here in Mississippi where I really other people of color. like Tennessee, mm-hmm. especially where we were in Tennessee, it was like all white, mm-hmm. um, which was unfortunate, but you know it's a matter of location. Um, Gender-wise, it's been a pretty good mix, and those things sort of happen in waves too, so you get periods where it's mostly men, and sometimes it's mostly women, and sometimes there's a good mix going on. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was in grad school, I was the only girl in the program for a little while, um, so that was kind of interesting. I remember taking a class at Penland it was a boat building class in um, Penland School of Craft, mm-hmm. uh, and I was the only girl in the class out of like ten other ten people or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I didn't really think about it before getting into woodworking or metalworking, but it sort of became more like I became more aware of it as I started working more in both the woodworking and metalworking fields. Um, I would say I would argue that it's actually worse in the metalworking field um, mm-hmm. in terms of gender equality. Gender representation, things like that, um, and you know, I'm like I try to be a part of organizations that are really striving to um, give women and people of color more representation in those fields, um, and that's something I really push in my teaching too—is to you know, be cognizant of that wherever you go.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I guess I would maybe. <clears throat> argue a little bit about as far as like location necessarily Mm -hmm. driving the mix of um, student population just because i think i mean obviously people travel to go to school Um, so i think sometimes it's just maybe it's that opportunity isn't known unless you're local (laughs) to that area
1: yeah and it really boils down to um well my opinion it boils down to um like an early education study. yeah like they get a lot of students um here who like had no idea about art before taking their first art class or like barely even picked up a pencil and sketched in a piece of notebook paper you know mm-hmm. um, and it's really just not um thought of as something that's like a marketable field it's like not like cause here it's like football and all this other stuff is um mm-hmm. uh, main money makers so, priority is more on that than it is on the arts since it's, um it's, i feel like it's most important in early education yeah
0: um, yeah yeah so i was gonna say like where you're located at like i mean is are you still is it an art program you're teaching in or are people taking it on like an industry level type stuff
1: uh, it's an art program mm-hmm. um So they can get their BFA, and I think it's just like a general um, fine art BFA degree. Um, Mm -hmm. I think they can get a specialization in sculpture. Um, Yeah, so.
0: Okay, all right. Um, Well, we're getting close to the end of our time together, so I want to make sure that people have a chance to, you know, check you out online and see your work, so where can they find you at?
1: Um, My website is sophieglen.com, and my Instagram handle is at arcburn underscore furniture. Um, I'm sort of on Facebook, but usually everything I put on Instagram goes on Facebook, um, but you can find me on Facebook, too. All
0: right, awesome. Well, thanks for chatting with me today.
1: Yeah, I was looking forward to this, so thank you for with me. Appreciate it. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. Okay. So again, that was Sophie Glenn. And as always, I will include the links on how you can follow along with her in the show notes for today's episode. So you can find those in the description for whatever podcast app you're listening to. And if you happen to be watching this on YouTube, just check out the description down below. You can also find the show notes over at freemanfurnishings.com forward slash podcast so check that out. Um, I want to give a big shout out and thanks again. It's been a while to mention that the music for the Wonder Woman podcast was produced and uh, sung and made by Mary Lou of Made by Mary Lou, so if you aren't currently following her over on Instagram or YouTube, please do so. Um, She is absolutely fascinating and wonderful and talented, so go do that. Um, All right. So make sure that you're following along with the podcast. Remember, the name has recently changed. So if you want to follow along over on Instagram, that's at Wonder Women Pod, because believe it or not, Wonder Women Podcast was already taken. So Wonder Women Pod on Instagram. And that's kind of where all the goodies live and where I'll announce uh, the week's guests for both Wednesday and Friday episodes. So go check that out. Head on over to Patreon. Uh, that's patreon.com forward slash. That's still unfortunately under Maker Mom Podcast. I'm working on getting that changed. Uh, but check that out. Um, or if you want to just get a Wonder Women podcast podcast t-shirt or coffee mug or face mask or pretty much probably any other sort of merchandise with the Wonder Women podcast logo on it, uh, you can hit me up with a message. Um, Also, it's linked over on Instagram. Again, that uh, Wonder Women pod on Instagram, so you can find it there too. When I am not making podcasts. You can find me making furniture and home decor at freemanfurnishings.com and at freemanfurnishings pretty much across all of the social media. Um, I'm active on a daily basis on Instagram and TikTok. So that's where you can see, you know, what's the current project going on generally involves some level of either power carving or adding texture or some kind of crazy color along with uh, shenanigans such as uh, shop dance tuesday so you can go check that out there let me know you found me through the podcast i always enjoy hearing that all right it is wednesday i hope you all are having a fantastic week so far and are ready to rock out the rest of the week and i will see you all on friday with a brand new episode Wonder Woman Now the world is ready for you And the no one does you